Yes, he is. And who's not thinking gardening in this cold weather? Can't wait for the spring, right? Well, listen, if you have a question for Doug, 866-391-1020. Got a guest coming up as well. And we got a giveaway right now, our first of two this hour. 10th caller, 412-922-1020. You win a gift certificate from Sorgles. But right now, Doug wants to take a stroll down memory lane, remembering one of the NFL's great. Good morning, Doug. Good morning. How are you, Rob? Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. I'm good, sir. Uh, yeah, well, we lost Marty Schottenheimer. He was a coach uh, for the Cleveland Browns and other teams. Uh, but I covered him during uh, his tenure in Cleveland, and he was just a very nice person uh, besides being a great coach. And I just happened to see this little moment between him and his son Brian uh, before some big game, and I can't remember what, what it was, but it was at the old Cleveland Municipal Stadium. And I was sitting in the dugout, you know, a couple hours before the game, and uh, Marty's son, Brian, who became an NFL coach himself, actually, was a ball boy for the team. And I just happened to be sitting there and watched them both come out together onto the field. And when Marty had to go his way and Brian had to go his way, uh, they kissed. It was just a sweet little moment between father and son. And I just thought it was uh, – I always thought of that moment, uh, and then when I heard that Marty passed, I just thought I would relate that. Uh, we do have a guest a little later on today, Eva Monheim. Uh, she's a longtime friend of mine. We usually see each other annually at the Mance Trade Show in Baltimore. That's the Mid-Atlantic Nursery Trade Show. Uh, of course, that was virtual this year. But we'll be talking about her new book, which I love, called Shrubs and Hedges, Discover, Grow, and Care for the world's most popular plants. And right after uh, we're done talking, I'll give away a copy of her book. Last week's winner for the Grow Your Soil book was Rosemary Slumkowski, and I'll be giving away books every week also. And my project, Doug's Free Seed Checks, continues to move forward. These are just big old newspaper sales boxes, the kind you used to put a quarter in. And open it up and get the paper out. And I was uh, fig- trying to figure out how I was going to paint them. And Handy Andy uh, from EV True Value uh, called me and schooled me on that. So I think I'm going to be able to paint them myself. The only thing I'm looking for is more seeds. Uh, you know, uh, it's hard to get seeds. I, I want last year's seeds, actually, uh, just the expired stuff, which will still be good to plant. It's just that uh, you know, those are easier to get. And it's been nice, though. I've had lots of people sending me seeds. And I'm going to put these shacks all around the the city, and people just go get their free seeds. It's going to be fun. Uh, the story I wrote this week for The Green Voice is all about great indoor winter jobs for us. And Mrs. Know-It-All will actually be here a little later to tell us about one of my favorites in that story, which is forcing branches. This is a great thing to do this time of the year. Uh, it's great because I can hear the birds singing in the morning. Uh, stick your head out the window. <laughs> uh, it is Valentine's Day, and that's what the birds are doing. They're singing to each other. They're Twitter-pated. That's a Disney term for uh, they're looking for mates. And in just a month, we'll be planting peas in the garden, so we're getting to the end. Even though this is a tough way to end winter, that's for sure. Uh, if you've got a gardening question... I'd love to hear from you right now. We've got a couple minutes here on this segment at uh, to talk to you before our guest. It's 866-391-1020. But if you've got a question and you can't get through or you're too shy to call, I answer questions after the show at DougOster.com. And I'll answer for about an hour today after the show. But we'd love to talk to you right now. 
And, uh, Rob, do we have anybody waiting? Because I've got some other things to talk about. Uh, you know what? Let's take, we have one caller, and it's John in Bethel Park, and we'll get to him right now. Thanks for holding on, John. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Doug. This is a follow-up to a mind, question John? that I asked you a couple of years ago. Okay, what was uh, it? About values. Yep. Um, I, I was wondering, since uh, you have to dig values here, but you don't have to dig them in the further south, what happens if you just leave them in the ground? So I was thinking, how about digging them up and then just putting them back down just the way they are rather than, than dividing them every year and getting you know keeping them small? And you said, well, why don't you try it see what happens? So I did. And um, that was a couple of years ago. And I now have, rather than dahlia flowers, I have dahlia shrubs. <laughs> and um, <laughs> they, uh, they just keep growing. Of course, I, I take off any uh, withered or, you know, bad tubers. But uh, I just basically put them back down. And I now have dahlias that have anywhere from, oh, 15 to 25 blossoms on them at once. You know, and uh, it's been great fun. Uh, I just thought I'd let you know that uh, your so, advice, uh, how it turned out. Let me go over it. So you you left the entire, uh, all those tubers, you left them at the end of the season. Is that right? You're taking them out? No, no, I didn't leave them in the ground. I dug right, them up. No. You're just not separating them. I them. putting them back in because we're all, yeah, we've always been taught to separate them. And that's right. pretty interesting stuff. And so... What's the biggest uh, clump of, 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 of tubers do you, do you have that you're pulling out of there? I would imagine it's probably a, a foot across. Wow. And uh, um, they're just going nuts when you plant them, huh? Yeah, they just keep, they just keep growing. And um, I, uh, as I say, I, there, there will be uh, anywhere from a dozen to maybe 25 or more flowers on them at once. And uh, oh, they just keep, you know, they just keep coming. It's got to be be- <laughs> absolutely beautiful. Well, I'm glad you called back and tell us about that. That's great information. That might be something I'll try then uh, when I'm pulling my dahlias and not separating. Well, Rob, what do you think? You want to get a, a break early and we'll have a little bit more time for the guest? Sounds good, Doug. Let's take a break. We'll come right back. Stay with us. And he is on with his very special guest. Go ahead, Doug. I'm going to welcome Eva Monheim to the show. She is the author of Shrubs and Hedges, Discover, Grow, and Care for the World's Most Popular Plants. Where do you hear this bio? And this is only half of it, all right? She is an instructor at the amazing Longwood Gardens for the Professional Horticulture Program, is a faculty member at the Barnes Arboretum at St. Joseph's University, uh, holds a degree from Penn State in Horticulture and Art, a degree from Arcadia University in English, I'm sorry, from Arcadia University in English Literature, certified arborist through ISA, master floral designer, photographer and artist. Eva was an assistant professor of uh, instruction at Temple University in the Department of Landscape, Architecture, and Horticulture for over 12 years, where she taught 13 different subjects in undergraduate and graduate programs. Oh, Eva, welcome to the show. I've known you for a long time, but I and I knew you were an accomplished horticulturist. But holy cow! <laughs> oh, it's uh, thank you for having me, Doug. It's a pleasure to be on your show. You know, in an email when I was talking to you earlier this week, 
You said about Shrubs and Hedges, this new book. This is not an encyclopedia of shrubs. It is a book on the way to approach shrubs in general, and they each have a purpose in our environment. Tell me a little bit about that. It sounds like you had something special in mind when you wrote this book. Well, I did, and the original title, believe it or not, was A Passion for Shrubs because I think that they're so um, they're underappreciated but they do a, a huge amount of uh, heavy lifting in the environment. And especially where you're looking at riparian areas, um, areas where you need to stabilize um, soil or, uh, so that it doesn't erode uh, or to actually keep, to create cleaner water is important also. So some of these, these are some of the things that shrubs do besides providing uh, food for our our feathered friends along migratory uh, trails. And we have three major uh, tra uh, migratory trails here in the United States, one minor one. And along the East Coast in particular, uh, the buried shrubs become very important for birds. And they actually help to distribute the seed too. So if we watch our bird populations closely, we can actually see what they're eating, and then they will carry it wherever they go, the seed. Is there something uh, in particular that you love uh, that we should plant to help the birds uh, on the East Coast here or on the uh, eastern part of the U.S.? Absolutely. Some of the major plant material that birds will go after are any of the hollies, whether it's American holly, uh, the deciduous hollies like uh, Ilex decidua or Ilex reticulata, which is the winterberry holly. Uh, those are plants that are they're found in wetlands along our eastern seaboard. These become critical for not only for food, but also for habitat. Uh, we're looking at uh, the, the, the uh, winter, the Evergreen, I'm sorry, the evergreen type will actually provide shelter for birds. And it's critical for them to have these plants too, uh, especially when we have hurricanes, uh, having these slightly inland or more inland, even into Pittsburgh, uh, sometimes birds get knocked off course from hurricanes and they will need food sources for them to, them to eat. And they also will drop seed there. Sometimes you wonder how a certain seed gets to where it is. And a lot of times it's because birds have been knocked off course, either from fog or heavy wind or uh, other uh, weather events. In looking through uh, shrubs and hedges, one thing that I, that I found that I think every Pittsburgher wants to know about, you've got a, a, a section in there about shrubs for steep slopes and hillsides. Well, that's all we have in Pittsburgh, Eva, so fill <laughs> us in. Uh, <laughs> I used to live in Pittsburgh, so I, I, I know that there are so many steep slopes in Pittsburgh, and to stabilize those slopes is important because if you have green cover on them, the likelihood of having a slipping and sliding of soils uh, will, um, will actually be stabilized with the, the use of shrubs. And I have a, quite a number in the list here uh, that do really well along riparian slopes versus dry slopes. 
and there is a difference. The riparian slope is usually wetter, and the the dry slopes don't have that not necessarily uh, wind up in a wetland area. They may dry up in a dry canyon or something like that. So uh, you have some wonderful ones like uh, the sumacs in particular. They not only provide a good habitat for birds, but the the um, wing sumac, which is also known as a shiny sumac, is a really good one. Uh, the regular roostathena, which is the staghorn sumac, which we see along highways, that one does really well in wet or dry. And then there's the roost aromatica, which is the fragrant sumac, and that one there has a low-growing one called Grolo, and that one there covers a steep slope very well. And, in fact, we had a problem here in Philadelphia when they first built one of the buildings down on main campus at Temple, and the only plant that did really well on that steep slope was Ruth Aromatica and some of the conifers, uh, which were junipers, uh, juniper uh, virginiana, which is our eastern um, red cedar. And if you can find cultivars that are shrub-like, that, that even works better because they spread. Um, some of the other spreaders that are, are great are the uh, juniperus horizontalis, which is the um, horizontal juniper, which covers beautifully and creates a beautiful mat. And those are native to the De Mount Desert Island in Maine. And there's what? a lot of plant discovery going on up there because these plants can either take really dry, really wet, a windy, salty, and especially if you're along a salty roadway here in Pennsylvania, we know that they use tons and tons of salt on the roadways. So having a salt-loving plant or salt-tolerant plant is important as well. Uh, so I'm looking down my list here, and, I, and there's uh, the... Aeschylus parviflora, which is the bottle brush buckeye, that does really well on wet slopes, and it spreads. So if you find something that's a spreader, that will help stabilize a, a bank very quickly. And that's what I like to suggest when you're, when you're putting in a, a, a planting on a slope, to pick something that will spread. Uh, there's another good one that just came out, uh, put, put out, recently, you know, I guess in the last two or three years, called Lowscape Mound, which is the aronia, the black aronia, and, uh, the, or black chokeberry. It produces amazing spring bloom, produces an amazing berry population, and that'll, that'll also attract birds, and especially ground-nesting birds because it's a low, again, it's a low mound, and it gets to be about a foot a foot and a half tall and okay. it has an amazing fall color as well we've so got about a minute that's about a minute about a minute about a minute left eva what did you want people to get out of the book well the thing that i want people to get out of the book is that shrubs are very diverse number one and number two that you have a, a great uh, selection of plant material that can be utilized in your garden on your slope and be diverse about what you pick. Don't just pick a monoculture. If the more diversity that you have, uh, the better it is for your environment, not only for uh, pollinators, but also for small ground nesting birds and 
regular birds, migrating birds, and also small animals. So you're creating a nice habitat. Eva Monheim is the author of Shrubs and Hedges, Discover, Grow, and Care for the World's Most Popular Plants. You can find out everything else about Eva at evamonheim.com. Thanks so much for getting up early in the morning and telling us about this wonderful book, Eva. Oh, thank you so much, and happy Valentine's Day to you. Happy Valentine's Day. Hey, the folks at the Janoski's getting ready for a big Valentine's Day out there. Uh, the celebration starts at 8 until 6. All sorts of good things. The Arrowhead Winery, the bakery, and more. And if you're the 10th caller at 412-922-1020, you'll win a $25 gift certificate from the good people at Janoski's. Okay, Doug, you want to give a book away? Yeah, let's give away Eva Monheim's book. It's called Shrubs and Hedges, Discover, Grow, and Care for the Most Popular Plants. And all you have to do is go to DougOster.com. Click on that contact button and just say, hey, I want to win the book. And tomorrow I'll pick the winner randomly and send you off the book. Uh, you know, we only scratched the surface on this book. I really love this book. Uh, but there's a, a comprehensive list in there of hydrangeas and lots of great hydrangea information. The number one question we get uh, as garden writers is, why doesn't my hydrangea bloom? And so there's just... It breaks down all the different types of hydrangeas in there. There's information on designing with shrubs. Uh, there's another list of shrubs for wet areas. Uh, details pruning for shrubs, uh, you know, as Eva was talking about shrubs for wildlife. So a really cool book uh, and one that I really enjoyed. Now, I got some questions from listeners that I didn't get to last week. And that's part of what I'll do too. Like if we get to the, if you don't get through, or you've got a question, and you don't want to talk about it on the radio, just send the question. Uh, the same thing. Go to DougOster.com, click on the contact, and I answer questions after the show. But Teresa wanted to know, she has a problem with fungus in her soil. She thinks so. They're planning a five by eight garden. They want to make raised beds over the garden they have there, but they've had uh, problems in the past with different plants getting different fungal issues uh, with black spots or powdery mildew. So my answer to her uh, was that you don't know if that's soil-borne. There's airborne, there's soil-borne fungus, but if you're going to make a raised bed, uh, you don't have to really worry. The soil that you're getting is not going to have any kind of fungal issues, and I would recommend compost, and that's what I told Teresa. Uh, you know, dump, you know, 12 to 18 inches of compost over that area, and you'd be good to plant right off the bat. The, the more important thing with dealing with fungal issues is uh, making sure that these plants have air circulation, making sure that um, you have mulch in case you do have uh, fungal spores in the ground. They would That oftentimes splashes up, gets on the plants. And then using a good organic fungicide, if you've got a plant like, I don't know, uh, a rose that gets black spot all the time and you know it's going to have black spot, it's better to use that organic fungicide right when it leaves out to keep it healthy. Uh, some other questions. Uh, any words of wisdom for, wisdom for planting strawberries? This is the first time I've ever planted strawberries. And, oh, strawberries are easy. There's actually a, a, a series of... Uh, strawberries that has just been introduced through a, a company called Bushel and Berry. And it's three different uh, strawberries that are ever-bearing. So there's two different types of strawberries. There's your big June-bearing ones that you'll get tons and tons of 
uh, strawberries, and then that's it. And then there's ever bearing where they don't put as many on, but they uh, they just put them on all season long. And so, just like anything else, when you're planting strawberries, you're going to want to really work up that soil. You know, add compost. I know I sound like a broken record, uh, and give them the, the proper spacing and lots of mulch. Uh, and you know, you're going to have to watch when they put berries on. You're going to have to watch for chipmunks, squirrels birds and also slug damage uh, that's why i like the mulch so i like to grow them up on on straw uh here's one uh and mrs know-it-all will speak to this too uh, Ms., uh, Lori says mrs know-it-all said she starts her zinnias indoors i thought zinnias didn't need to be transplanted and i've, I've seen them in in nurseries and they always looked bad so she's always started them from seed but again she's seen that mrs know-it-all starts them indoors so you know everybody does a little bit differently um, I like to start my zinnias direct sowing, but I have to wait longer for the, the blooms. Uh, so with Mrs. Dodal starting earlier, she's going to get earlier blooms. You can do it either way. That's that's the point here. Uh, you know, the same thing with the, uh, you know, with the Mexican sunflower that I grow uh, called Tithonia torch. You could put the seeds directly into the soil, and they would do fine, but they would just bloom a little later. That's all. Uh, a lot of people think that zinnias, when you direct sow them, this is what I've heard, when you direct sow them, are less likely to get powdery mildew. But we'll talk to Mrs. Know it all about this. When she comes out, she's going to tell us all about forcing branches. Another question um, they, uh, somebody has a vole problem. That's V. Uh, voles are just little mole like creatures that uh, feed on plants. So voles are a problem. There could be 400 of them there. <laughs> the colony gets so big. And uh, the question is, have you ever used a product called Sonic Mole Chaser, uh, one of those vibrating things? And I never have. The, the best success I've had in dealing with voles and moles, uh, again, when we talk about moles, moles are actually good for the garden, except if they're making tunnels where you're going to break your ankle or you just can't stand the way it looks. Moles aerate the soil, eat grubs, leave a little fertilizer behind. But voles, with a V, those are the ones we're most concerned with. But for either one, there's an organic product called Mole Scram. And it just uses garlic and castor oil to make a barrier. And so the vole and the mole, you put down kind of a, a band about a foot wide where you don't want them to be. And then you continue to build on that band, and it pushes them off the area that you want where you don't want them and so that's a very easy organic control inexpensive and easy to do as i said uh, during the the first segment of the show we are getting ready to plant in just one month <laughs> you know st patrick's day is the day that we plant our peas that's when grandma said to plant your peas and looking at it out there now <laughs> It doesn't seem like it's going to be ready, but it will be. There will be a break in the weather. Spring will come, and we can put those peas in. Uh, you, you, if you're if you're a seed starter, as we've been talking the last few weeks, you've got to get out there. Go to your local nursery or garden center. Get your seeds, because it's going to be another crazy year for gardening. Uh, you know, some of these uh, seed companies have shut down for for a, a week at a time going 24-7, trying to keep up, trying to get, get people their seeds uh, because more people are gardening because of the pandemic. And so 
uh, as I said, you know, I, I was at a nursery where we was talking to them, and they only got half the seeds they were supposed to get, and they don't know if they're going to be resupplied. So get out there when you can, get some seeds, and and that starting from seed is just just not only are you saving money, not only are you getting these unique varieties that you can't grow any other way. It's also just a feeling of satisfaction to to start a little seed and go all the way up to fruition. Uh, I just got some new lights from Handy Andy, these LED lights. I'll be making a video soon about how I'm going to install those lights and have uh, an indoor seed starting system again. Uh, But starting from seed, you know, pretty soon it's time. You know, as we talked last week uh, with Mrs. Noto, little seeds now, maybe some impatience, begonias, something like that, petunias, but the main crop, not till next month. All right, Rob, ready for a break? Yeah, we're going to take a break. We'll come back. Mrs. Know-It-All just moments away. And don't forget, coming up, it's the Coons cooking our romantic recipes on KDK. And it's time once again, right, Doug? That's right. time for Mrs. Know-It-All. Horticulturist Denise Schreiber is here. And, Denise, let's get uh, to those zinnias. Yeah, so... You start them inside, uh, but can they be started just directly in the garden? They can be uh, started directly in the garden. Uh, just make sure the soil's real uh, friable. It's not real heavy clay. The only reason I like to start them indoors is I like to get them a little taller, and then I can snip them so they branch out more, the uh, old-fashioned type. Uh, but planting them out in the garden does not make one difference whether you get powdery mildew or not. It depends on the humidity. It depends on the air circulation. All right. Let's hear all about getting some indoor spring blooms because we need it oh yeah especially with what's coming so you know once we have sometimes we have a day uh over 40 to 35 40 degrees and that's an ideal day to go out and harvest some branches and so the what you do you take uh, branches that are about 12 inches long and you want several you don't want just one and put them in a bucket of water immediately. And then when you get them in the house, take a razor blade or a sharp knife, fairy knife works, and cut about one to two inches on the bottom of the stem and put it in um, back in the water. Now, the thought used to be you'd take a hammer and smash it, but you can actually do more damage, and the plant won't be able to take up the water and force. You want to look for uh, branches that have... Uh, swelling in the buds, you'll see it. And all you do really and truly is just put them in water uh, and in a cool spot out of direct sunlight, change the water every couple of days, and within, depending on what plants you've, you know, harvested, one to two weeks, you'll start seeing, you know, blooms, something we need. So I actually have a list of plants we can do. Everybody knows you can do forsythia. You know, that sort of comes with the territory. Right. That, I've got forsythia going, but I want some other things. What okay. else can I do at this time of the year? Okay. Cornelian cherries, witch hazel. You can also uh, do service berry. You can do red bud. You can do apples, crab, crab apples. You can do everybody's favorite cherries and azaleas. People said you can do rhododendrons, although I've never tried it. You can also do honeysuckle and everybody's favorite, pussy willows. 
which are my favorite. I grow them. I make sure I take a bunch of branches and force them every year. But you want to do them in a succession. You don't want to do them all at once. So you can start, I'd say, I think next week it gets a hair warmer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, you know, just harvest some. And then maybe every week, every two weeks, harvest something else so you'll have a continuation of blooms until we may actually see some real blooms on you know trees and shrubs. But, you know, be creative. You can, you know... It, try it and see. And sometimes you'll get some that the leaves will just come out and not the blooms. But that's okay because that kind of gives you some texture in your flower arrangement and you'll have it there. I have a whole list and a little more details on my Mrs. Know-It-All page. But also, if you go on there, you'll also see a plant from Suntory called Sweetheart and Purple Heart. It is a petunia. And on the petals, they're heart-shaped which I thought would be most appropriate for <laughs> Valentine's Day. When we're talking about forcing branches, mm-hmm. should I should I wait to get closer to the true blooms? Like if I wanted to do, I don't know, something like a dogwood, should I you, wait a little bit? You know, forsythia is an early bloomer. You know, cherries are early bloomers. Or could, can I get away, you think, with anything that has a bud on it? Well, you you can try any plant you want. But you want to wait till you start to see uh, flower buds actually forming, or there are at least some swelling on the branches. So that's what I'm saying. You want to do it, you know, periodically and go out. So right now, at the rate we're going, I'd say wait another two weeks, and then go out. And I'm, I'm hoping for warm weather. It doesn't matter if it snows. It's when we have those warmer days that that helps. And then go out and start cutting them. So if you wanted to do dogwoods, I would say wait till mid-March. Okay. You know, if you want to do pussy willows, you can probably do them in another week or two. Hmm. That sounds good. It's fun. I mean, I've had a lot of fun with the forsythia, uh, and I had a happy accident where my paperweights bloomed at the same time my forsythia did. I don't, I don't think you like paperweights. Do I don't like paperweights. They yeah, smell it's... like old socks. Yeah, a lot of people can't stand the smell. For some reason, I like them. Uh, but they are they are very strong, that's for sure. Yeah. All right, Mrs. Know it all. Thank you for all that information and those petunias sound pretty cool. That's a perfect you're right. It's a perfect Valentine's Day plant. Uh I will be answering questions after the show. Just go to dougoster.com, click on the contact uh button and just ask your question there. I get lots of questions uh after the show. I've got about an hour to answer questions this morning. And I would love to talk to you that way uh, if if you've got some information for me. Maybe you have some seeds for me for my uh, Doug's Free Seed Checks. I got uh, from uh, Lori sent me these amazing uh, loofah gourd seeds, uh, a giant packet of them. Uh, so reach out. We'll talk. Remember, organic gardeners, you make our world brighter and safer with each seed you sow and every garden you grow. All right, Doug, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. You and your significant other have a wonderful Valentine's Day. And for all of you that have that significant other, guess what we have coming up very shortly on the Coons Cooking Hour. Joan Franklin, T.C. and I, it's all about romantic dinners. And don't forget all of your Coons quality foods. Coons markets are open today, and they have everything you need. Great selection of candy, wonderful floral department that won't break the bank, beautiful roses, and... 
Don't forget meat and seafood for that entree. And they have delicious baked goods, too. And at the Banksville location, McKnight Road location, the best selection of wines anywhere. Happy Valentine's Day to all of you on this Valentine's Day at KDKA.